We're almost finished with the study of this, but we're not finished with the application of it. I have a tendency, I want to get on to some other things. There are some other things that are stirring around in me to teach on, but I can't quite get off this yet. It's a process, because what this chapter is about, the first 16 verses, is a process that really is our whole life, our whole Christian life. And so you can't hurry through these things. It involves what some people call a paradigm shift. That's, a paradigm is the terms in which you see things. And it requires a shift in that to understand. Those of you who are parents understand that. Because you tell things to your kids and 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 then they grow up to be teenagers and they tell you things. <laughs> and suddenly when they hit 2021, 20, you became smart again. You've ever, any of you been through that? They suddenly, it's like... And, and what happened is they had a paradigm shift again. Now, sometimes we're tempted to help them with the shift, but we can't do that. And so we need... It takes a while for our... You, you hear things and understand things through the gateway of your mind. So whatever your mind is not open to, you will not hear. Whatever you've set your mind and say, that's not, that is, I don't believe that's truth, you will not hear that. And so it's not truth for you, even though it is truth. There are many believers out there that believe things about God that the Bible doesn't say, and for them it's not true, or it's true for them. So the people out there that believe that, that healing passed away with the last apostle, there's nothing in the Word of God that says that, but people have formed that doctrine. And if that's what you've been taught and that's what you believe, guess what, for you... It's passed away. The problem is I know too many people that have been healed. I've been healed. My wife's been healed, miraculously healed of things. So, I mean, it's hard to, to deny something that's happened, so you have to redefine what's happened to fit your doctrine. And so we need to spend some time because I believe the Spirit of God has been adjusting our thinking. So we've spent time looking at the first few parts of this first 16 verses, which basically says that, that we're one body. So you're all part of one body. That's a paradigm shift right, now, right there. If we can just get that in this year, that will open the door to the Spirit of God to do amazing things. If we don't see ourselves anymore as some eight or 900 people that walk in here every Sunday, but as one body together that's part of one larger body, that will begin to affect how we relate to Him and how we relate to one another. Yeah. So we spend time looking at that, and we may refer back to that from time to time. Then we began to look at the processes laid out in here of how that's to happen. And we see that, that, that God has appointed as grace to the church ministry gifts. And there are five of them that are listed here. The apostle, the prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. And their purpose is to equip the saints. And we've talked about what that equipping means. We've talked about who the saints are that they're here to equip, and that's all of us. And now we spent the last number of weeks talking about what we're here to do, which is the work of of the ministry. So we've been going through a study of the ministry. We've been looking at that ministry involves gifts that God has given to you, the grace that God's given to you, not just the grace to be saved, but grace extends beyond that. Grace means anything God's given to you that you did not deserve. And so the gifting and equipping that God's given to you is a gift from Him. It's a grace. And so Paul's talking about that grace there. And it's given to us so that we can do the work of the ministry. And now we're going to see what that work of the ministry is to produce. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. The entrance of your word brings light. Your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Your word shines the way, but your word is also light and life within us. And so, Father, as we open these holy scriptures this morning, God breathes the word to us. Father, we look to and rely upon the anointing that's upon your word and the anointing that's upon the preached word, Father, this morning by the Holy Spirit to not just give us more understanding, but to impart into us your word of life this morning that you may by your spirit and your word enlighten us, enliven us and enlighten us to who we are and what you've called us to do. Thank you, Father, for your spirit this morning in us and here among us. And upon him we rely, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's look down through. I'm not going to go back to verse 1, but I want to pick up here, because there's a specific thing we want to begin to focus on. 
Verse 12. These gifts are given for the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry for the edifying. That means the building up of the body of Christ. And here's the goal. Until we all come, all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect. That word doesn't mean without flaws. That means complete or mature. So we've talked about this in the very beginning. Just as when uh, somebody wants to build a, a building, they go to an architect. An architect comes up with drawings, starts out with a, with a design drawing, then a schematic drawing, which gives you an image of what this building's going to look like when the contractors are finished with it. So you start out with an image of what you want to get to, which gives you something to measure where you are by that image. We know we're not finished yet because it doesn't look like that just yet. Well, in the same way, God has an image for his church. And the image is that we come into the fullness of the stature and completeness of Christ, which makes sense since we're his body. In other words, that his body begins to talk like him, think like him, and act like him. That's really what that means. And since we are the body, we're the ones he wants to get to that place. So that's the goal. And notice until we all come. I don't know about you, but that encourages me. Because growing up, I loved athletics, but I was not that good at it. So when I was in in high school, I went to a private school the last two years, and we had a mandatory uh, gym. It wasn't a gym class. We had to take place in sports. They didn't have a gym class. So in the fall, I picked, I don't know why, I guess because the only other choice was football. I picked cross-country track. Cross-country averaged three and a half miles. And I came to the conclusion that my role on that team was to make sure no one else came in last. (laughs) Someone had to do it. Someone had to sacrifice their pride to make sure nobody else came in last. And I accomplished it. Now, how's that for putting a spin on it? (laughs) I didn't enjoy coming in last. I was just not gifted in that area. And so I finished. That was my goal. And so I forgot what my point was. (laughs) We go back up and rewind a little bit. The image of Christ. So we all get there. That's the point. So we all get there. So when it came to competition in athletics, I always had this fear I was going to be the one that was left behind. If they were going to pick a team, I'm the one they picked last because somebody had to pick me. So there was always this sense I'd be left behind. So you bring it into the spiritual realm, there's a sense sometimes that some of we were, some of us you deal with, you know, maybe I'm going to be, I don't measure up. I'm not as spiritual as my wife. I'm not as spiritual as so-and-so. That's the work of the enemy. Because we're all one body. Even though part of me didn't want to come to church today, I brought all of me here. Because if I left my feet at home, I wouldn't be here, would I? So I have to, all of me has to physically get here for me to be. Why? Because we're, I'm one body. And that's how God sees his church. So when the enemy works into you, but you're going to be left behind because you're too far behind. You're not growing fast enough. You're not as spiritual as so-and-so. Or you're not, don't know as much as so-and-so. That's the lie of the enemy to try to separate you out so that you'll stop doing what you know to do and the things we're going to talk about. But if you just don't quit... God will get you there. If you just don't quit, God will get you there because the role of the rest of the body is to help you come along and to make up for your weaknesses just as your physical body. So I don't know about you, but this encourages me till they all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect or mature man. And that's the image. And that image is Christ. All right. Now let's talk about what we got to do to get there. And this is going to be fun and exciting. Say, I can't wait. It's good news. All right, let's hear the good news. Verse 14. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, in cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Now let's stop there a second. That we should no longer... Be 
children. Verse 15, but speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in spiritual things unto him. What? Oh, what? All things. That means spirit, soul, and body. Well, our bodies will grow up whether we do anything or not, as long as we eat and basically take care of them. That process will take care of. So you'll grow up physically. But whether you grow up emotionally and in in your soul and grow up spiritually is up to you. And what he said, this is the voice of a father. This is not, not the voice of a taskmaster. This is not the voice of a judge. This is the voice of a father saying, because you're my children, I will not leave you where you are. Just as you with your children will not leave them. Doesn't bless you. They're cute when they're one-year-old and two-year-old and they're kind of staggering around and, and they fumble with their words and they do, you know, they make little mistakes and they're cute. But when they're 16 and do that, they're no longer cute. They need to grow up. We've already seen in studying the Father, when we looked at the parable of the talents, that the Father, the Master, knows His servant. He knows His children. He knows what you're capable of. So He will not require something of us we're not capable of. He may require something of us we don't think we're capable, but He knows what we can do. And often what we don't think we can do is because we don't really want to do it. But God's goal for you, God's goal for Faith Christian Center is that we all grow up. Good news. Now, God would not require something of us that He, first of all, would not know we can do, and secondly, that He would not help us do. Because we're going to see in here how to help Him do that. There's a part God has to play that you can't do. And there's a part you have to play that God won't do. I've tried it. I can save you a lot of heartache. I've tried to do God's part. He won't do it. Because you grow by doing your part. And you can't do His part. I've tried to do that too. So let's begin to find out what this is. How many of you want to grow up? Remember, God's watching. (laughs) All right. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Verse that's often quoted for other purposes, and it really is in here for a different purpose. But I just want to read this to you. So the Father wants us to grow up. In fact, it's important that we grow up, because if we don't grow up, His body doesn't grow up. Now, He's talking in the context here about gifts of the Spirit, and in chapter 13 here, which is sandwiched between chapter 12 and 14. 12 talks about the nine gifts of the Spirit. 14 focuses really on two of them. And chapter 13, which is put in the middle, is talking about the heart with which you operate in these gifts. And we'll see a little later on why that's so important. But in here he's talking about that some of these gifts are going to pass away. These gifts are going to pass away because their purpose is to be a physical manifestation of the Spirit of God. So that when Christ comes back, and physically appears. We don't need the, spirit, the gifts of the Spirit to manifest Him. We'll be able to see Him as He is. So until He comes back and we can physically see Him here or in heaven, we need the gifts of the Spirit because they are manifestations of His existence, His presence, and of His character. So the Apostle Paul is talking about the fact that at this point we need these because the fullness of knowing Him has not come yet. Now, some people, and we've talked about this before, some people believe that the fullness that Paul's talking about is when the Bible comes. What we've established before, I don't want to go back over why that's not true. But here, stuck in here is this verse, which I want to apply to our purposes. Verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, and I understood as a child, and I thought as a child. And that's fine, and that's appropriate. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. We're going to talk this morning about growing up spiritually. There's a direct parallel between growing up spiritually and the process you go through and the process that you go through of growing up physically 
and emotionally. There are some characteristics that are common to children, which we understand in children, but we expect them to grow out of them. And the most basic, and what we need to look at this morning, as we're looking at these characteristics of a child emotionally, we'll see parallels to these same characteristics, maybe in some of us, spiritually. The first thing that predominates about a child is what? And it sums up a lot of their other activities. What? Exactly right. A child, a small child, is selfish. Their whole life is about them. What they want, what they need, what makes them happy. And if, some, if, if their brother or sister has what they want, what do they do? They go get it. They think they're entitled to it because they want it. So the first characteristic of childishness is it's selfish. Their whole world, their whole life is oriented around them. And that's understandable with a small child. That's part of the, that's part of the survival process because when they're born, all they want to do is eat. They don't care about you. They don't care whether you smile at them. Or t- they just want to eat and then they want to be clean when they finish processing it. And that's all they do. They're eating machines. If you look at them, you know, analytically, they just eat. That's it. And they sleep because they're resting up to eat more. (laughs) And if they don't get what they need or want, what do they do? (laughs) They cry. They let you know. They don't care what you think of them because what you think of them doesn't matter to them. All that matters to them is they're getting what they want and what they need. And with babies, we call that cute. Don't we? We call it cute because it's the appropriate point of view for a child at that stage. But as they begin to grow and mature, they begin to become aware that there are other people in their universe other than them. And the first person they'll generally become aware of other than them is mama. Because either she's the one that's physically feeding them, either by nursing them or by holding them. And God's designed that in such a way that when you do that, that you're holding them in their arms and they're looking at you and you're looking with them. It's communicating. It's developing a relationship. And part of that relationship is that child's beginning to become aware that there's somebody else here but me. And then there becomes an awareness of need. That's the person that's feeding me. I need them. So now a dependency begins to develop. And dependency at the beginning stages is fine because it's a recognition you can't do everything yourself. There's a humility that goes with being dependent. The problem is when we stay dependent, when we should be depending on ourselves for things. So that if you're 16 and mom is still holding you and feeding a bottle to you, there's a problem. And so gradually as this child grows, they become more aware that not only is there mama, but hopefully there is dada, and then there are even some siblings around, and they now have to experience this wonderful joy of learning how to interact with other people and recognizing I'm not the only one here. Of course, in the beginning, they recognize there are other people here, but they all exist for me. They're here to play with me. They're here to feed me. They're here to get me up when I want. They're here. They all exist for me. Now, that is a sign of immaturity. Immaturity is not wrong in a young child. It's wrong when they're older and still acting that way. So a child is selfish and self-centered. And the process that God has designed within a healthy family, the way he's designed it, is the process of bringing that child from that place of utter self-centeredness and selfishness to growing, gradually become aware that there are other people here, then gradually aware that they have needs and rights, and that now I may have to sit, I may have to wait while my brother or sister gets something that I don't get, or they get attention 
that I don't get when I want it. So I have to learn this concept called patience and waiting because patience is part of the process of maturing. Impatience is another sign of immaturity. Not only do I want it, I want it now. I remember standing on a va- going on vacation, and this was probably ten years ago, and we were on a on a cruise, I think, and I know we were, and and uh, uh, we were sitting out on a deck, and we were just kind of relaxing, and and they had a coffee machine, free coffee, you can go and just, and so I asked anyone, would you like a cup of coffee? And she said, yeah, I said I would too. So I went in, and I'm standing in line to this free coffee machine, and there are probably six people in front of me, and, and let me put this. They were more mature than I was in terms of age. And I'm in the back of this line, and I'm getting impatient. I want my coffee, and I want to bring some to my wife, and they're taking too long. And I'm starting to get upset. And all of a sudden, I stepped back from myself and saw how stupid it was. I'm I'm not going anywhere. It's not like I'm going to be late for an appointment. I'm on vacation, and the purpose of the vacation is to slow down and relax. And if I'm five minutes late with a coffee, what's that going to mean? And I saw myself, and I had to repent. I said, God, forgive me for being impatient. See, when I have to have it now, now some things need to be done now, but when I want what I want and I want it now, that impatience is a sign of immaturity, because that's what a child wants. And if they don't get what they want, what do they do? They'll throw some kind of fit. They'll find some way to put pressure on you to get from you what they want that they want now. So they know you. Your children study you. They know what works, and they don't want know because you've taught them. You train your children what works with you and what doesn't work with you. You train your children whether they need to listen to your words or not pay any attention to your words. You've trained them. And so they, they know. And so some, you know, they'll get impatient and they want, it, they want it now. And they'll know how to work you. Whether it's to scream and yell, hold your breath. I tried that one once as a child. Well, I'm going to hold my breath. My mother was smart and said, go ahead. I thought she was mean and cruel. And after, I don't know, six, 30 seconds or something like that, when I'm probably getting blue in the face, I'm realizing this isn't going to win. <laughs> I thought, I, see, I thought if I held my breath long enough, I'd die. She knew I'd just pass out and start breathing again. (laughs) Sometimes we do that with God. Now, we may not physically hold our breath, but we withhold from Him things. Ourselves, our obedience, I don't want to do that. You haven't done what I want, so I'm not going to do what you want me to do. We get upset at him because what we think should have happened by now hasn't happened by now. As if he doesn't care. Remember the disciples on the back of the ship woke Jesus up? What did they say to him? Don't you care about us? This is the one who'd come to hang on a cross for them. So self-centeredness, impatience, selfishness. All of these are signs of immaturity. Let's look at a couple of others. I think it's time to get off of those. Oh, here's a good one. Touchiness. I don't mean they're touching. I mean they're easily offended. You say the wrong thing, they'll get upset, they'll get offended. Johnny took my truck. That was my cookie. Take my cookie. (laughs) Notice, mine, mine. Because touchiness and sensitivity is always about something that's happened to me. See, when we get grown up, we use different words. We're offended. We're hurt. We weren't treated properly. And that may be true. 
But we're going to learn that as we grow and mature, we have to take the experiences of our life and what we want to do and then bring them over and measure them against this picture, this image that we're being called to live like. So a child, a sign of childishness is selfishness, self-centered, moody, touchy. Now, obviously we're human. And in a family, one of the great things about family is we bump into each other. We step on each other's toes. And each one of those is an opportunity to grow. Every time somebody offends you, hurts you, says something against you, is either an opportunity for you to get offended and strike back or react in your flesh, or it's an opportunity for you to grow and mature. See, we don't grow and mature just sitting there with our Bible with a glass of iced tea on the front porch with the winds blowing nice and cool. Just, oh, God's word is so rich to stay. I mean, that's how, we'll talk later. That's how you grow. But the other part of growing, growing is when you go out there and things don't go the way you want to go today. See, it's easy. It's the whole thing about authority. You don't know whether you're under authority, really submitted to authority, until that authority tells you to do something you don't want to do or tells you not to do something you, don't want, you do want to do. Because as long as they're telling you to do things you want to do, you don't know whether you're subject to authority because you're going to do it anyway. Well, that went over big. (laughs) Let's move along then. We don't want to dwell here too long. So immaturity, a sign of immaturity is selfishness, self-centered. Really, it all comes out of that. Touch, it's touchy, easily hurt, easily offended. Another one is, is children have a short attention span. They're easily distracted. They have trouble keeping their mind focused on what's important because they don't really have an understanding. What's important is what's right in front of them. Now notice in what we just read in Ephesians 4, he talks about because when you must grow so that you're not moved easily by every wind of doctrine that comes along. Because to children, what looks good is good to them. Ice cream, candy bars, television. Whatever looks good to them, in their mind, is good. So they'll chase after it. That's one of the reasons they have parents. Because hopefully we know what is good for them, whether it looks like it's good for them or not. So we know that Brussels sprouts and cauliflower and, 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 and vegetables are good for them, even though we may not like them. We, one of the signs of maturity is we'll eat things we know are good for us even though we may not like them. Or we won't eat things that we know aren't good for us even though we... I won't go there. <laughs> so touchiness, easily distracted, have trouble keeping our focus, which is why the Apostle Paul says that one of the signs of spiritually not being mature is we're easily carried about by every wind of doctrine. The latest thing that comes along on TV, on some Christian show, oh, did you hear this? So-and-so is saying this. This is going on there. And what we do is we get off of God's word. We get off of the gospel. Paul talks about, he says, there are other gospels out there other than the gospel which I preached. He says that in several places. And even in his day, There were other teachings and doctrines out there, all kinds of them out there, and they were pulling people out of the will of God. Why were they able to be pulled out? Because they didn't recognize what was truth from error. Because they were, it looked good, it smelled good. We measure when we're when we're when we're spiritually when we're not mature spiritually, we measure things by how they look. So somebody's out there and miracles are happening. We assume because they're miracles, it's God. Yet Jesus said that even Satan comes as an angel of light. I mean, Paul said that. Even Jesus said that because that, 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 um, that, so some men came to him and says, Lord, didn't we cast out demons in your name and perform only wonders? He says, yeah, but I didn't know you. Depart from me. So they must have been doing it in someone else's power. Satan does have power. He doesn't have power over you, but he does have power, unless you give it to him. But he does have power. Well, how do we discern? Well, that's, we're going to talk about that. But it's part of growing is to not react to what you see, to not react to what your senses are telling you. 
Because understand this, the enemy uses your senses and your emotions to try to get you to react. And when we're still not mature enough, we'll react and give in to his schemes. Thinking sometimes we're doing things that please God when in reality we're allowing the enemy to work in our lives and through us. Well, how do we know? It's real simple. We're going to get there. It's real simple. Would Jesus do this? There was, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, there was this phrase and it was on lanyards. And what would Jesus do? And it kind of became kind of cute, but there's truth in that. How would Jesus handle this? I don't know. Well, you, first of all, then you need to read the Gospels and find out how he did handle many of those situations. All right, let's move on. There are many more things we could talk about. Oh, the last thing, and there are others, but the last thing is that this one of the signs of a child. A child isn't responsible. They're not responsible. I'm not saying they shouldn't be. They're, they're not responsible. What's the first thing? You, you begin to teach them to be responsible for themselves. That's the first thing they have to learn as they're growing up. So you teach them to be responsible for their room, their space, their bed, whatever it is. So you give them things to be, you should be, giving them things to be responsible for because that's teaching them ultimately that I'm here on this earth not just for me to be pleased, but I'm going to have things that I'm responsible for doing for God, but you learn to be responsible to God for by starting out by being responsible for yourself. And then as you're growing and maturing in a family, hopefully you're being taught that you have chores, that there's a part of all the... that this, this house does not just happen and run by itself. The food just doesn't suddenly appear on the table at dinner time, so I can come and satisfy my needs. But somebody had to prepare it. And before they had to prepare it, they had to go purchase it. And before they could purchase it, somebody had to earn the money by which they were going to purchase it so they could prepare it so I could sit there and eat it. So they've got to grow and realize, all right, well, part of my responsibility, may, may my job is to take the trash out. Now, you don't give this to a two-year-old. But as they get to an age where they begin to take on responsibility, that teaches them they're part of something bigger than they are. But it also teaches them that, there are, that things that go on in this house go on because people contribute of their own time and energy to it. And that's teaching them to be responsible not just for themselves but for other people too. To be part of something larger that they're contributing to by being responsible. All of that is God's plan to prepare our children when they grow up to take their place in the body of Christ and to be already with an outlook of being responsible, contributing members to the body of Christ. But that starts with the training in the home. Now, we didn't always get that. So we're going, some of us are going through the process of God our Father teaching us some of these things. We saw in the parable of the, of the, of the talents that that, that, was a, that was a training for them. He entrusted things to them to see what they would do. And we saw that the, the, the ones that, that were responsible for what he had entrusted to them, he then gave them greater responsibility because they'd proven that they were responsible enough to handle something that was somebody else's. Now he could entrust something to them that was their own. See, that's a, what, you're being trained right now by God. It may be through situations you're going through that God didn't cause, but he will use them to train you and prepare you and he's training you and preparing you for responsibilities as part of his body here, but he's also training you because you understand when you get to heaven, we don't just sit on clouds and hum, you know, harps and, you know, and just you know, sip ambrosia or whatever it is they drink in heaven. You work there. We work in heaven too. We have responsibilities. Paul says, don't you understand, if you can't get along with each other here, you're going to be ultimately judging angels. That's a job. That's a responsibility. What he's saying is, how you learn to handle those responsibilities here shows me what I can trust you with there. You need to live your life, not just with a perspective, well, I'm here 60, 70, 80 years. Live this 60, 70 years with a perspective. This is your training and preparation for eternity. For eternity. So, we'll just put it this way. To what degree you've not matured here, guess what? You don't get a free ride you're going to have to mature there. So let's mature here. Let's mature here. Okay. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. And there are others we could talk about. Matthew chapter 5. 
For we all come to the fullness of the stature that belongs to Christ. Matthew chapter, excuse me, Matthew chapter 6, I'm sorry. No, Matthew chapter 5. I was right to begin with. I should trust my notes. Now, this is the Sermon on the Mount, of course, very famous sermon. And he says some very st- difficult things to handle here. And I'm not going to go through all of them. I just want to give a sampling of them. Let's start in verse um, 33. Again, you've heard it said to those days of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall, shall perform your oaths to the Lord. That's what the law said. In other words, if you make an oath and swear by something to the Lord, you should perform it. Verse 34. But I say unto you, do not swear at all. He's not talking about profanity. He's talking about swearing an oath. Because the practice was this, is really what it was saying under the Old Testament, is if you, if you really plan to do what you're going to do, then you swear by an oath. You know, by my mother's grave. Or, you know, these things, people, some people still do those sorts of things. He says, and if, in the Old Testament, if you make a vow to God and swear, okay, in other words, what it's saying is, I really mean it. Which is kind of creating. That's why people say to me, "Well, Pastor, to tell you the truth, and I, you'll find me if you do it, I'll stop you and say, are you telling me that you don't usually tell me the truth? Because if you've got to, it's like somebody comes, Pastor, I love you. That usually is followed by something. If you've got to tell me ahead of time you love me, I don't mean that. But, but sometimes, you know, I love you, but you're just going to tell me why you don't love me. But anyway." But if, I, if I'm going to tell you, but I, you know, I really mean I'm telling you the truth, which implies I don't normally. You ought to listen to yourself because you do hear yourself. And, and Jesus is saying here, under the Old Testament, if you really meant it and wanted to be held by it, you would make a vow by something of greater value or authority than you. And that's what he's talking about here. Verse 34, but I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven or by God's throne or by the earth for, or by its footstool or by Jerusalem for its city or the, it's the city of the great God, king. Nor swear by your head because you cannot make one of your head white or black. In other words, he says, you're swearing by things you didn't create. But this is his point, verse 37. But let your yes be yes and your no be no. Whatever is more than that of these is evil, from the evil one, or some translations say evil. In other words, just tell the truth. Don't say things, and then when you really mean the truth, swear by something. Just tell the truth. Let your word be true. All right, let's go to verse 38. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. This is a difficult one. But I tell unto you not to resist an evil person. Whoever slaps you on your right cheek... Turn to him the other also. If someone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. Whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. Don't you wish the banks read this? <laughs> now, you, we're going to go on. I used to look, that, these verses used to trouble me. Because does that mean I'm supposed to be a doormat? And just lie down, and if somebody, you know, does something to harm me or my family, I just sit back and say, well, here's my other cheek, turn it. It really troubled me. If somebody sues you, not only do you just give in, you just you give them everything else that they didn't ask for. Well, hold that point, because I'm going to show you the answer. Verse 43, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. And verse 45 is the answer. You do these things so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Now, You don't become his son by doing these things because you become his son by giving your life to Christ and becoming born again. But once you're born again, and we talked about this in the very beginning of the study, what happens is God's own spirit comes in you and births in you 
God's own nature. That's why Romans 5.5 says, For the love of God has been shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit. You're not a child of God because you've been admitted into some club. You're not a child of God because you've done the things that gives you entrance into some exclusive group that's headed to heaven. You're a child of God just the way you became a child of your parents. You were conceived in your mother's womb, and at the right time you were brought forth. That's just what Jesus was talking about in John chapter 3 when Nicodemus says, he says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. The first birth is when you came, your body came forth from your mother's womb. The second birth is when the spirit of the living God is born, is birthed, breathed inside of your spirit, and you become, he makes you alive unto God. Well, if I have God's spirit in me, and his spirit is in me and to make me his child, that means his nature is also in me, which is why Peter says that by these great and precious promises, God has given to us the divine nature. You literally have God's nature in you. I didn't say you're acting like it. That's the process we're talking about. But you can't act like it if it's not your nature. See, we want to solve people, change people, by changing them from the outside, by changing their behavior. God recognizes that the source of the problems, not our behavior, it's our nature. Sinners act like sinners because they're sinners. It's their nature. It's when God's children act like sinners, we've got a problem because they're not acting like their nature. And so in these principles that Jesus is laying forth, because if you look earlier in, in Matthew chapter 5, he says, <clears throat> he says, your righteousness, in order to enter the kingdom of God, your righteousness has to exceed or go beyond the righteousness of the Pharisees. Because they did these things. He says, you tithe. Herbs, uh, cumin and different herbs and, and spices. In other words, whatever you got, you tithe. You took it. And so if, 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 if somebody gave you, you know, a jar of, of pepper, you took the first tenth of that and you gave it to the church. He says, but inside, you're rotten in your nature. So what, under the law, what they did is they did outward deeds that were righteous, but inward, their attitude of their heart was not. And so what he's saying here is you need to, what he's calling us to do is to act like who we are, sons of the living God, children of the living God. Well, how does God act? Does God tell you the truth sometimes and you only know he's telling you the truth because he says, I swear by myself? Or can we trust that everything God says is the truth? So he doesn't need to swear by something sometimes because we don't know whether he's telling the truth the rest of the time because his word is true every time he speaks it. So he's saying, therefore, your word should be true every time you speak it because you're my child and you're like me. So what he says, if somebody smites you on one cheek, turn the other. Or if someone steals your coat, give them your shirt, give them your cloak. Or if someone tells you to go with me a mile, go with them too. What he's saying is, you haven't treated, you know, if I, if I treat you the way you would treat others, you'd be in trouble. We've slapped him on the face. Not physically. But we've done things to, we've said things about God. We've taken his name in vain. We've said things about God's character and nature that were a slap in the face to him. And what did he do? Did he strike back at us? No, he turned the other cheek. In other words, he stayed there for us. He stayed open to us and vulnerable to us and loved us even when we did not treat him well and right. If we demanded things of him, does he only give us what we've asked or is he generous? Has he given you things you didn't ask for? Has he given you more than you asked? See, these are what he's like. And all he's saying here is, you should act like me because you're my child. 
Well, let's go on and read some more that's after that. I mean, look at verse 43. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those that... Aren't you glad he didn't just love those that were friends to him? Because none of us were. The Bible says we were all his enemies until we came to Christ. See, these are things he's done towards us. And he's saying, now that you are my children, this is how you should act. Now, are we perfect at it? No. This is the blueprint. This is the artist's rendering of where God's getting us to grow to. So, as you can see, each one of these situations is something that comes about in everyday life. It's not something that just comes about sitting in a blue chair Sunday morning and Wednesday nights. It comes about as you interact with other believers. It comes out as you interact with people in your job that may not be Christians, that may despitefully use you, that may be your enemies, that may lie about you and say things about you. Every one of those is an opportunity to grow more like your father by calling on who you really are on the inside. Every one of those is an opportunity to grow and mature and be like him. Notice he doesn't say the sign of maturity is doing miracles. Notice he doesn't say the sign of maturity is, 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 is walking on water. The sign of maturity is our, is our spiritual growth to be more and more like him. In verse 45, do these things that you may be sons or like your Father in heaven. For he makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust. If you love those who just love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. If you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the ta- when they say tax collector, understand this. He wasn't just talking about they're the only ones that do these things. That was an insult. The tax collectors in their day and age were probably the most hated people in their society because the tax collectors were Jews that the Romans had hired to collect Roman taxes from their own people. And the way they made their living is that whatever they collected from their brethren around them beyond what the Romans required they could keep so first of all the Jews sold them as, saw them as having sold out to the Roman conquerors and then that the Jews were being taken advantage of they were being taken advantage of by their own brothers so they hated them so when he refers to tax, the tax collectors do that he's saying the very worst people you can think of act that way Verse 48, therefore you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. That's the image that God has of you. And that's the image that God has collectively of Faith Christian Center. And that's the process that he's working in you and working in me and working in us together to bring us to that point. The video that Pastor Michael referred to during the announcements that we showed during the marriage seminar here a couple of weeks ago talks about the purpose of marriage, and he's a statement here he makes that was so wonderful because it's so true. He said, if you want to serve God with all your heart, stay single. But if you want to learn to be more like God, get married. And his premise in this talk, as it is in the book that we now have, is that the purpose of marriage, see, the world's concept of marriage is that we get married so that we can have fun, so that we can be happy, we can have companionship. And those are all part of it, but they're byproducts. They're not the purpose of marriage. 
And the problem is if that's your purpose for marriage or other relationships that God brings into your life. If your purpose for these relationships is to have fun and to enjoy them, then what's going to happen is when you no longer are enjoying it and it's no longer fun, I'm going to go find somebody that I can have fun with because obviously this one isn't working. But what he brings out so powerfully in that teaching is God's purpose for marriage because it was, it was not Adam's idea to have a wife. He was happy. He, was, he, could, he had the control of the remote himself. He didn't have to share the refrigerator or anything, you know. He could make his own vacation plans. Never got into an argument. Was happy. Everybody in his household agreed with him. Didn't that sound good, man? Nobody nagged him. It was wonderful. And God said, God said, God said, that's not good. It's not good for you to not have to deal with somebody who doesn't think like you do, speak like you do. And you, 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 need, to have, you need to learn how to get along with somebody who is completely different than you are. That's how you'll grow. And that's not just true in marriage. It's true in a family. It's true in the body of Christ. It's true in Faith Christian Center. There are people that God will assign to you to rub you the wrong way. I'm not looking at anybody, so don't worry. <laughs> there are people that God will assign. There are people that God put in my life, to, 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 and they'll never know it. To God put in my life to rub me the wrong way. But I had to choose to see this as an opportunity to mature Amen. and to grow. Amen instead of to find some way to get these people out of my life so that I can be happy and content. Till we all come. Till we all come. See, if, that, if God were like that, we'd all be going to hell. Because he was complete in himself. He didn't need us. Other than he needed someone on whom to bestow the love that overflows his heart. That's why he created you. And that's why he created me. As someone on whom he could pour out this overflow of love that's in his heart. But he doesn't need us to get along. So he's loved us because that's his nature. Because that's his desire. And he loved us so much that whatever price he had to pay so you could become his sons and daughters, he did that. But he won't leave you alone there because he wants you to grow up and mature until we literally all come to the full unity in the knowledge of the body of Christ and to the fullness of the perfection of completeness that is in Christ Jesus. Next week, we'll begin to look at how you grow because the Bible tells us that there's there are necessary ingredients for growing. But listen to me this. I'll leave you with this. It starts with the decision that you're willing If you're not willing to grow up, you won't. In fact, you're where you are now spiritually because you've chosen to be there. So you're going to have to make another choice to go beyond where you are today.